Can anybody own the law? In other words, can the law be copyrighted? And if so, how much does a copy of the law cost? A thousand dollars? How about $1,207.02? We've got the venerable Tim Banker here with us to tell us the story of Carl Malamud and publicresource.org versus the state of Georgia. This is Stuff You Should Know About IP. Okay, so Tim, Tom, please tell me and our audience, can anybody own the law? And what's the background of this IP case? Because this one is really fascinating. Yeah, this is a great case. This, and by the way, the, the punchline to this is that it goes all the way up to the Supreme Court, all the way to the US Supreme Court. But the question of can anyone own the law is really, can anyone own access to the law, right? So just to give a quick background, before we let the great Tim Banker speak, because Tim really is great. Like Tom and Ray, our collective IQ is like combined, like maybe 160. So we're like 80 each. And you're like 130 of that. Alone is like 160. So, so anyway. <laughs> so I got anyway, blisters on my knuckles because I'm dragging them around everywhere I go. <laughs> me too, me too. So anyway, there's this guy, Carl Malmud, who is a, a, an activist and he's in the state of Georgia. And he's, he's really a great activist because he's doing all this for the benefit of humanity, right? His mission in life seems to be to make public records actually available to the public. Now, you'd think that one of the main things that would be available to the public is the law, right? I mean, we are totally required to follow the law. In fact, there is something that, you know, is kind of well known, which is ignorance of the law is not an excuse. So you can't say, oh, I didn't know I was allowed to punch that person in the face. Oh, I'm glad you told me. I won't do that again. Or I didn't know I was, you know, not allowed to just take food if I'm hungry from a grocery store without paying for it. Now I know it's it's all good. No, you are you are prosecuted for violating the law regardless of whether you know about it. And the state of Georgia is making it difficult for people to read the law. And basically, Carl Malamud's position is Malamud's position is Georgia has this unique situation: the unofficial law is the one that's published and freely available. The official law is called the OCGA. I think it's the Official Code Georgia Annotated or something like that, but Tim will correct us. So anyway, it's annotated by this great company called LexisNexis, and I've known LexisNexis and been involved with them since I was in law school back in the 80s. Yeah, I'm that old. But LexisNexis annotates official laws. So when I was going through law school and as a lawyer, you'd always read the LexisNexis or Westlaw. That's another company that does it. They annotate laws and make it easier by telling you like, oh, what happened since the law? What are some relevant cases? Maybe even summarize it a bit. But for Georgia, the official version is the annotated version, which means the unofficial version is the unannotated version. Now, there is a rule that while you can't get a copyright on the law, if somebody like Lexis goes to the trouble of annotating it, making it easier, more user-friendly, they can get a copyright. Since that's the official version, the only way you could access the official version is apparently by paying Lexis. So what did you say? It was like $1,207 or something like that and two cents? 
Yeah, it was something like that, right, Tim? But it was a lot. I mean, it was a lot. Do you have $1,207 just in, the, in your back pocket to go get the law so that you don't violate it? Probably not. Nope. Most people probably don't. In fact, I'll tell you, I read this article recently that said 50% of the American population, 50% could not withstand an unexpected $500 catastrophe, okay? That means 50% of the people are living just above where they need to be to survive, and they don't have $500 to spend on unanticipated. They certainly don't have $1,207 to spend. So the state of Georgia sues this guy for copyright infringement, and they win. They win. The district court, which is the lowest federal court, the trial court for federal law, and it's brought in federal court because it's copyright infringement, which is a federal law, they hold in favor of the state of Georgia and against Carol, Carol Malamud and say that the state of Georgia can do this. But then it goes up to the Court of Appeals and they say the opposite and ultimately to the Supreme Court. But Tim, can you tell us what this case is all about? Because I just don't even totally understand all the facts here. What happened? Sure. So as you said, the, uh, the official code of Georgia is annotated, which itself is very unusual. Most annotated codes are unofficial and most um, official codes are unannotated. So even though- Wait, I like that, Tim. Most annotated codes are unofficial and most official codes are unofficial codes are unannotated. Yes. That's like so, a puzzle. I like it's that. like an LSAT question. Yes, that's an LSAT question. Yes. So go ahead, Tim. So they have their, um, their official code with all the annotations, and the annotations are supervised by the Code Revision Commission of the Georgia Legislature. Now, the Code Revision Commission has, I think, 15 members, most of whom are, legis are Georgia legislators. And this commission oversees the work of LexisNexis, which is the, the organization that um, does the annotations. So the annotations have references to case law, they have summaries, they have links or references to um, law review articles. They'll mention if a law has been repealed or overturned or declared unconstitutional by a court. So there's all sorts of non-binding information that doesn't have the force of law, but it's it's really good for people to know. And that's all- By the way, Tim, somebody has to do that, right? Like LexisNexis has to invest a lot of money to hire people to do all that annotating, right? Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. And so Lexus has uh, an agreement with the commission and therefore with Georgia. It's a, it's a work for hire agreement. So in the event of, you know, the Georgia, the legislature, the state can own any copyrights that are there in the, in the annotated works. So you Lexus. Mean, yeah. I think what you're saying is the state of Georgia hires Lexus to do all this annotating, right? They hire them to pay the people, to do the research, to, to do all the annotating, to make it easier for regular people like us to understand the law, right? Yes, but and the commission- trying to work for hire. What do you mean by that, Tim? Um, it's, a, uh, it's an agreement. They agree that what, Lexis agrees that the work it's doing is um, made pursuant to this agreement for the state of Georgia. So it's uh, basically an agreement that allows them Georgia to have the copyright. Otherwise- Own it, right? To own the copyright. Yes, to own the copyright. Otherwise, Lexus would be the author of it, and presumably they would have at least a shot at owning it. So I, right, I so if it wasn't for the work, if it wasn't for the work for hire agreement, 
it would be the state wouldn't even say they own it because the contractor, the creator is deemed to be the owner unless there's a work for hire agreement or some other contract in place, right? Yes. Okay. Ray, what were you going to say? Well, so, and this is just a fundamental copyright question, I guess, but uh, in order to have a copyright, someone has to be the, the author. There has to be an author because the copyright law is, is enforceable until like 50 years from the death of the author or something like that. Right. So longer does it have to, yeah. So does it have to be uh, a human being? I mean, like, and, and are you, that, are I mean, we getting back into the AI discussion because, because then AI again, say again, well, AI not, again? I, now AI is a whole other question, but I mean, can Lexus Nexus be an author? Can the state of Georgia be an author? Well, they're not the author. There's authors of it and they assign their rights to their company. Like for example, you work for executive IP. If you create a work of authorship, you have an obligation to assign it to the company by contract, right? By your employment right. contract. Then right. the company owns it. But it starts with the creator, whoever created it. So in this case, it was somebody at Lexus annotates stuff, and technically they would be the author, right? Okay, yeah. So, so if that person- They assign it, though, to Lexus. Right. And, it, right. and, the, and Lexus is, is, in this case, assigning it to the state of Georgia. Well, it's a work for hire. So technically speaking, it's the state of Georgia is right from the beginning, right? Right from the jump, right, Tim? Right. But yes. if, if that copyright is valid, then who, from who, the time of whose, whose death are we counting the expiration of the copyright? Is the that, is that a, like a valid yeah, question? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's on top of the life of the author. The person who Not wrote the, the annotation. The author, right. Oh, so, okay. Tim, that's really interesting. getting back to you now, Tim. So what happened? The state wins? So, yeah, at the, at the district level, the state won. The, um, the, now, the commission really tightly oversees what Lexus did with the annotations. They, um, they specify what the annotations must include in exacting detail. So, so they're really involved in the process. And then the, uh, the state won at the district court level. And Malamud and uh, PRO, they appealed. They went to the 11th Circuit. And the 11th Circuit sided with PRO. PRO is Carl Malbin. Yes, that's his organization. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, so, and then just, to, just as a kind of an interesting thing, when Malamud, he wanted to make the point, you know, when he was, um, the reason he got sued was not only did he publish the code on his website, he also copied it onto a thumb drive and sent it to several members of the Georgia legislature that's distributing the work. So he's really, Looking for, in the eye. looking for trouble, yeah. yeah. But he, so he, but why did he send it to them? Just to actually poke them in the eye? I think so. I, oh, I think he was just distributing the work. He was infringing the copyright. Yeah, because you can't copy or distribute, right? Right. Right, okay, so, so then what happened? So um, then after the 11th Circuit sided with PRO and Malamud, Georgia said, let's go to the Supreme Court. Malamud said, yes, please. Let's go to the Supreme Court of the United States. Both parties wanted to go. And oh, the my Supreme God. Yeah. The they must have been. Malamud must have been in his glory going to the U.S. Supreme Court. This is an activist, mind you. This yeah. is what he lives for. And all of a sudden, he's going to the U.S. Supreme Court just recently, right? Yeah. Since yeah, Kavanaugh's appointment. Yep. Yep. Yes, Kevin, I was um, on here. And then Georgia accused him of, you know, this publication that he did of the, 
the, the quote-unquote infringement. They said that it was part of a strategy of terrorism. What? They said it was terrorism. Yes, they used the word terrorism. Are you kidding? That's insanity. Isn't it? Yes, that's, that's almost, that's almost, that's so interesting though, because what was their argument? You know, these days it's like the buzzword, right? You applied the word terrorism to anything and immediately whoever you called, it's like, it, it's a word that you can't fight back from, right? Right. So they wanted to apply copyright infringement, the word terrorism to copyright infringement. Yeah. He was telling people what the law is. That's, that's a right. terrorist activity. <laughs> in the, in the I love it. That is brilliant. So he's a terrorist because he's trying to help people know the law so they follow the law. Yeah. <laughs> right? Okay, but Tim, do you, what was their argument? I mean, about I, being I terrorists? Mean, yeah. They didn't get into that too much, and it wasn't really, like, I don't think there's any statutory basis for saying that's an act of terrorism. That's just something that they kind of alleged, and it, it didn't really come up as much in the subsequent decisions because, I don't know, maybe- I don't think this was, in, this was contemplated with the Patriot Act. <laughs> no. I don't think that this is what they were thinking about, right? No. And apparently, neither did the U.S. Supreme Court. So, so by the way, just as a matter of procedure, you start in the district court. That's the trial court for federal actions, and a copyright action is federal. And then when there's an appeal, whoever loses ultimately wants to appeal to the, the Court of Appeals. And in this case, there's, <clears throat> excuse me, there's Court of Appeals spread all over the country and you know, each court of appeals takes on a particular set of district courts. And in this case, it's like the 11th Circuit or something, right? Yes, the 11th Circuit, yep. So the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals rules in favor, they reverse what happened in the district court and they hold in favor of Malamut and say that they're, he's not committing copyright infringement. Why did they say he wasn't committing copyright infringement? Um, well, they believe that the, um, that, the, the people have a right to all this information that um, Georgia was not necessarily. Um, th th or was there something about authorship or? Yeah, authorship comes into it. Um, there's the part of about the annotations being um, part of the law because they're, um, they're so important to the law. So even though it's not necessarily exactly the law, they thought it was sufficiently like, lo sufficiently law-like to oh, be. law-like. Yeah, law-like annotations, right? Yeah. Yeah, I like so that, that. So that it fell into the, um, I guess what they call the, the uh, government edicts doctrine, which holds that officials like um, legislators and judges, um, if they're empowered to speak with the force of law, that there any works that they produce in furtherance of their legislative or judicial duties are not copyrightable because they can't be, they cannot be um, authors of those works in the in the copyright sense. Right, and they said. Those annotations were created by the Code Revision Commission, which indisputably is an arm of the General Assembly, the state legislature, right? Correct. They're essentially saying that because it's the official law, the annotations get put into the, the, uh, the, the um, prohibition against getting copyrights on that. Correct. Correct. Okay. So then what happens, Tim? They go up. They go up to the Supreme Court. Everyone's all fired up about it. You don't know what's going to happen because you got a new judge up there, and what happens? It's a it's a close decision. It's five to four. It's as five close as it could possibly be without an abstention. By and the way, here's what people don't always understand about this: the U.S. Supreme Court. Say what you will about these people. I don't like Kavanaugh. I don't like Sotomayor. I don't care who you dislike or like. These are brilliant people. 
okay? These are people who went to top schools. They've dedicated their lives to studying the Constitution. These are brilliant people who are faced with this question, and they're five to four, which is crazy mm -hmm. because that means there were four brilliant people who know everything about the Constitution who went the other way. Yep. I mean, to say that law is not black and white, this is a great example. Five to four, that's stunning. And my favorite thing about it is the particular justices that group together, the five and the majority. You know, people talk about justices, you know, kind of going by party lines. Like, if you know what party the president was who nominated them to the bench, you can kind of assume how they're going to uh, go, you know, in their judicial careers. But that's not how it worked in this case. The majority was Chief Justice Roberts, appointed by President George W. Bush. Justices Sotomayor and Kagan, appointed by President Obama, and Justices Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, appointed by President Trump. You wouldn't think of those- but They were on one side. They were on the five. Yes, they all agreed with each other. The two Trumpers, the true Obama, two Obama justices, and one from George W. Bush. They That's all got brilliant. together and said, yes, we agree. That is brilliant. I mean, what I love about that is, okay, first of all, remember, these are brilliant people, and they're also nobody's fools, right? We all think we know what they're going to say, but in reality, they have a lifetime to tenure, right? You can't fire these people. So they might get put in by Trump or Obama or, or Bush, but they're going to vote how they believe that the Constitution requires them to vote, regardless of who appointed them, right? Yep. I mean, yep. that's an unlikely grouping. It is, and the dissenters were just as unlikely. Um, Justice Thomas, appointed by George H.W. Bush, Justice Alito, appointed by George W. Bush, and two from President Clinton, Justice Breyer, and the late Justice Ginsburg. They, they all, you know, they had some different reasoning for their dissents, but they were all the dissenters, and you wouldn't think to put them together necessarily. That is fantastic. So people always think you'd have, like, the Clintons and the Obama judges together. But mm -hmm. they're on opposite sides. I love it. And hey, that's one of the great things about intellectual property law is it's not like issues of, you know, gun control or uh, immigration or abortion that are so divisive that you have a side. And sometimes people take their brains out when they have these discussions because they're so emotional. But intellectual property is intellectual, right? <laughs> I mean, people are using their brains on this regardless of who put them there or regardless of what they thought about any of these emotional issues before. It just doesn't matter, right? Exactly. That is really a cool decision, Tim. What I do find stunning, though, is that four people on the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, were going to go along with the terrorism angle. Um, I'm sure that's not what they were thinking. No, I'm totally sure they weren't buying that argument. But they were on the side of copyright, you know, basically preventing people from having easy access to um, to, this, to the Georgia laws. Yeah, it, it, it is. Yes. Yep. It is weird. And, you know, their, their reasoning was different. Like Justice Ginsburg thought that um, she thought that this was not necessarily the legislature acting within its capacity as the legislature, that this was sort of beyond legislative duties um, because annotations happen after the lawmaking process. It's not like explaining the law. So it's, you know, they had nuanced reasons, but yes, that is the effect of what they were. But they were. I'm, I'm guessing that the big, the big uh, d dividing line here was, or the, the thing that just pushed people over was that this is the official version of the law. Yep, the official and, version. Yeah, and, and the fact that these annotations are integrated with it means that 
they're kind of official-ish. And that's probably why they got those five votes. Yep. And, and Justice Roberts, in the majority opinion, he uh, made what I thought was a really interesting point, that even though they're not, you know, binding, they're really practically, um, you know, there's a practical importance to, know, to knowing this stuff. He points out that there are laws in the, uh, that, that still appear on the statutory books of Georgia that would be available in the unannotated, unannotated version that have been declared inconstitutional by courts. So they're unenforceable. Oh, unconstitutional. And you'd never know that unless you read the annotated version. Exactly. He calls them unenforceable relics that the legislature has not bothered to narrow or repeal, but they can't be enforced. Yes, so, that's um, a great one. There are you know, laws against uh, consensual um, fornication, sexual intercourse between unmarried persons, or certain um, consensual sodomy laws. That's, in Georgia, if you just look at the books, you can't do that stuff. But if you have the annotated version, you right. know that you can. Right, so you're not going to be able to have sex outside of marriage if you don't have that annotated version, right? Exactly. So that's you have a lot of frustrated people if all they have <laughs> is the free version of the unofficial laws. That's what it came down to. <laughs> you know what it made this an interesting fight as well is if Lexus did not have a work for hire agreement in place and they owned the the copyrights on the annotations because. That's, I think that could have gone the other way because in that case, the copyrights are held by the people who made the investment to annotate, which is essentially, you know, adding their own copyrighted stuff to this uncopyrightable stuff. And that would have been a harder fight, I think, for uh, Carl Malumet. Yep, yep. The um, statute does, uh, different statutes do say that annotations theoretically are copyrightable if there's someone who can be an author. The issue here is that the majority thought that there was no um, author in the copyright sense of the annotations, but it would have been different if it had been Lexus. Maybe. Interesting. I defer well, to you. Anyway, that sounds interesting, guys. Yeah, I mean, this is a really fascinating uh, case. And to go all the way up to the Supreme Court with a split decision, the way that it, the, the dice fell, the way that the justices fell on both sides uh, just adds to that the fascinating aspect of, of the case. So Tim, thank you so much for bringing this up. I think this was a really awesome discussion. Um, and uh, I, I hope that the audience agrees. And if that's the case, please share this podcast. Uh, if you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and the bell icon. And if you're watching on LinkedIn, uh, hit share, hit like, and Share your thoughts, too, in the comments section. What do you think? Was this decided correctly? Uh, which side do you fall on? Um, and thanks again for tuning in, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.